Maybe the limitation that something you think very challenging for designing Xenobots in terms of maybe preparation, sale uh, or fabrication, but the same thing very challenging or maybe technological roadblocks to having in a larger scale or maybe realistic application like, um, for example, as mentioned, crawling through your arter uh, the human body for curing certain tumor. If you look for this example, for now, what do you think maybe a, a really a technological roadblock for you? Yeah. So, um, okay. Uh, again, I hear two questions here. So the, the um, challenges to moving forward and then applications. So there are clearly many technical and, and scientific and engineering challenges remain. Um, the big engineering challenge is how to automate the manufacture of Xenobots. So at the moment, um, Doug Blackiston, our very talented microsurgeon, builds the evolved Xenobot designs almost cell by cell, or at least parts of tissue by tissue. It's an extremely manual, painstaking, and slow process. Um, so we're looking at a number of you know bioprinting and other types of uh, biological manufacture or synthesis technologies where we could connect the evolutionary algorithm to those bioprinters. And what's evolved in simulation could then be automatically manufactured. This is an idea that goes back to, to Hod Lipson, uh, who originally proposed connecting 3D printers to evolutionary algorithms so that you could automatically print evolved solutions. Um, th that I would argue is probably mostly an engineering challenge at the moment. The scientific challenge, which you already asked about, is this issue of control. How do we gain or how do we allow the evolutionary algorithm to gain more control over fine tuning the behavior of, of xenobots? That's a scientific challenge because, again, we don't we need to learn much more about how cells communicate with one another and how we can exploit that communication or direct that communication by putting together tissues in new ways. So basically, what it seems like at the moment is the best way to program a Xenobot is by rearranging its body. And this is a very non-intuitive approach to programming or control for computer scientists or engineers. We tend to assume the body is fixed and there's some you know, control circuitry or CPU that we can program to get the machine to do something useful. What if there is no CPU? What if there is no neural tissue in the Xenobot? You have to program it or control it by shaping it. That's, that's a big open uh, question. Um, assuming we solve the, the scientific and the engineering challenges there, then maybe we can start to scale up this technology for potential applications. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the one, the one that's maybe most exciting or, or potentially frightening to some people is the, the internal medicine route, so that someday yeah. you may actually swallow xenobots in, in pill form or uh, get an injection of xenobots. Um, Obviously, they probably wouldn't be xenobots at that point. They would have to be built out of the, the patient's own cells um, yeah. in order to subvert the immune response. Um, uh, my colleague, Mike Levin, was mentioning that some of the early applications of that or th that of that approach to xenobots would be uh, like knee surgery. So when people's knees wear out, um, the bone is worn down in unique patterns for each person. So there's no one size fits all yeah. solution. 
could you inject uh, could you inject uh, xenobite xenobots into a human knee and they could very gently abrade or uh, scrape away uh, human bone to to allow to to basically recover function uh, in the knee. I think that would be again a very specific example, but something that's almost doable with what we have today. Yeah. So that's the yeah, yeah that, those are sort of the the human medicine applications. Um, we mentioned in the paper ecological um, applications as well. Um, obviously, climate yeah. change and pollution, uh, uh, microplastics. There's there's so many environmental remediation tasks that remain to be done at scale. And um, for example, the the garbage patch in the Pacific Ocean. The, um, yeah. Most solutions involve some sort of robot trawler or big boat, but then you're bringing more metals and plastics into the into yeah. the patch itself. Could you, you know, could we create very large swarms of xenobots that that collect microplastics or collectively sift them out of waterways? That's not an application that we're going to see anytime soon. You could imagine there would need to be very, uh, very careful regulation placed around a technology like that. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with living living machines, there is always the issue about whether this system could get out of control. Um, yeah. It's an example yeah. of an exponential technology, and, and as we know, you have to be particularly careful with exponential technology.